We will be in Matthew 11, 25 through 30, which you just heard. So I'm glad that's fresh in your memories. We enter into this. Um, up to this point in Matthew 11, Jesus's tone has been very different. If you could sort of rewind and reread that, you would see that. And prior to this, uh, misunderstanding and rejection have loomed really large in everything Jesus has spoken. So these words are Jesus's response, literally the way it reads, it's his answer, it's his declaration to being rejected by the established uh, religion of his day, the Jewish religious order, Pharisees and the scribes, in other words. So those he'll identify as wise and understanding, probably heard that, in contrast to the little children. So these are things that Jesus is going to play with in this passage. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wise and understanding, right? Those aren't pejorative terms in and of themselves at all. It's good to be wise and understanding, yes? So Jesus is being more than a little ironic here, and he's setting up a contrast. There's the wise and the understanding, irony, and the little children. And I think I find what he says here really consonant with the Beatitudes. There's some wonderful times there that we don't have time to explore, but just know that they're there. So Jesus uses this phrase, little children, in other places to describe uh, his followers. And there's a certain posture of heart that his followers have. Uh, they're humble. They're ordinary people. They're not as learned. They're not held in the same esteem that the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees were. So these little children, his followers, they're precious to Jesus. Very, very precious. You are precious to the Lord. Even though the world might not hold you in high regard, you might, the world might think you're forgettable or they're forgettable, haplessly average. It doesn't matter. These are the kinds of people that Jesus chooses to be his disciples. Now, there's other places, uh, which I hope come to mind for you, where Jesus commends us to be uh, childlike in our faith and in our approach to God. Think of the Lord's Prayer. It's a great example of that. Uh, a call to be teachable and, and humble and shamelessly uh, dependent. So that's what being a little child means in the way Jesus is describing it. The pride being the great enemy as always there. These little children, these little ones, he's saying, um, aren't educated and they aren't wise by worldly standards. Uh, none of the 12 disciples were theologians. None of the 12 disciples were scholars by uh, the standard of their day and age. Um, as if knowledge about God could save us rather than actually knowing God. Big difference, right? You can know about God, but not know God at all. Big difference. So again, this is a picture of humility and it's about the gift of grace. Jesus says, these things are hidden from the wise uh, and the understanding, but revealed to who? They're revealed to the little children. Jesus reminds us of that. So this revelation is a gift. You know, when God comes and removes the scales from our eyes, it is pure gift. It's not about our works. Uh, we didn't figure it out on our own. It's God's goodness towards us, irregardless and irrespective of our works, right? So you guys know this, but good to revisit. You can't earn your way into fellowship with God. You can't earn your way into his good graces. You don't have to perform to be loved by God, but God must open the door into his presence, right? God must do that. So hidden to some, revealed to others, uh, Jesus says. Uh, and this is Jesus yet again. He seems to love taking the world's values and completely inverting them and upending them. 
completely. So these are kingdom values versus worldly values. They're entirely different. And he says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will to reveal these things. So that's the first uh, couple of verses. I'm going to read you verse 27 because it's particularly packed. It's a doozy. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay. There's a lot there, tremendous amount uh, that I can't speak to fully. That's strongly Trinitarian, obviously, why we could say here, bears a really striking resemblance to portions of John's gospel. So, but I want, what I want to highlight here is we see this exclusive and intimate communion of Father and Son. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? I mean, there's this deep knowing of each other. There's the mission entrusted to Jesus the Son by God the Father. There's the submission of Jesus the Son to God the Father. There's the authority given to Jesus the Son by God the Father. There's just no secrets between them. And the way to know God the Father is, guess what? Through Jesus the Son. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. So, sort of reiterating what Jesus is saying. Jesus opens the door for us into the Father's house. This is the grace offered revealed in this language by the Son. And just how does this uh, invitation look? Well, let me, I'm going to read you 20 through 30, and we'll camp there. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay, how does this invitation look, this offer of grace? So, even amongst the rigors of following Jesus, which I spoke of last week, Matthew 10, think of all that. Take up your cross, uh, put, uh, put me above everyone else in your life, love me first and best, commit yourself to a life of sacrifice. Even amidst those rigors, here comes the invitation. And I find it a very surprising invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. What an immense hope and what an immense comfort in a very weary world. True then, true now. So who does Jesus invite? Who is he talking to? Those who know their need. Those who know their need. The little ones. The world-weary, the heavy-hearted, those loaded down with the weight and worry of any number of things, their sin, their sorrow, their anxiety, their remorse, their regrets, you name it. Uh, one author says this, the righteous and the worthy aren't likely to respond to this offer. Come to me, I mean, it's the heart of the gospel. Come as you are. The heavy-laden, is it's kind of an unusual and an uncommon word in the Greek, so I think it's worth exploring. It's tied into, I find, Matthew 23, 4. Uh, Jesus in this verse is speaking to, better said, rebuking the Pharisees. And he says this, For they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. And they themselves are not willing to move a finger to remove them. So what Jesus, I think, is talking about here, being heavy laden, and this tie back to the Pharisees, I think he's really taking square aim at legalism and the law, placing law and burden upon your brothers and sisters that just does not belong. So there were many legal and ethical demands that the scribes and the Pharisees 
put upon people. They were numerous and they were onerous and they, the weight of them was crushing. It was a crushing religious burden and a tyranny of works righteousness that no person could lift, including themselves. So Jesus's invitation here is entirely different from those living under that law, under that legalism, which is all of us, if you take Romans seriously. So this carries us back to the gracious gift of God. Come as you are, all your sins, your doubts, your misgivings, come as you are. Now, if you're anything like me, this sounds wonderful, very attractive, but kind of one of my questions is, okay, but how do I reconcile Jesus's offer of rest here with those rigorous demands that he makes of his followers that we talked about last week, right? All that cost of discipleship stuff. I mean, isn't that just more law, different law? No, it's not. Let me try to explain the difference. Our fuel for following Jesus, our response to the grace of God, must be rooted in gratitude. It simply must be. That's the fuel for our striving. That's the fuel for our uh, labors, if you will, not the need to appease God, not the need to uh, please him with our works. We take on the rigors of following Jesus uh, because we love him, because we feel gratitude towards him. These are more powerful than I think we can imagine. They are stronger than fear. They are stronger than anxiety. This is not legalism and law. This is love, okay? So there's a profound rest in being freed from law and legalism, that un unattainable need to please God somehow with your actions or else you fear rejection or hell or any number of things. And I haven't even spoken to the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, the helper and the advocate. The Lord hasn't abandoned us to carry out the rigors of discipleship and mission with no provision and certainly not alone. So gratitude is what motivates us, not fear. Very different than, it's just a very different thing. And that's gonna become clear as we continue on. So if I haven't answered all your questions or, or doubts, maybe we'll get to those. So secondly, in this verse and following, as we'll see, rest doesn't mean a categorical absence of work or labor. It doesn't mean that. So last week we kind of saw this sense of Jesus bringing peace in the midst of conflict. It didn't mean an absence of conflict. It meant peace often in the midst of it. I think we see something very similar here. There's rest in the midst of uh, our labors and our troubles. So more on that as we continue in the last couple of verses. So Jesus beckons us, take on my yoke, learn from me, I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and find rest for your souls. Now, yoke is a fascinating, vivid word with quite a history. So when you go back to the Old Testament, it can be used negatively. It can be a symbol of oppression, which is what most of us associate it with. Or enslavement, go to Isaiah 9, go to Jeremiah 27 and 28. But in the Old Testament, it also can be used positively in the way of, you serve the Lord. Jeremiah 2, Lamentations 3. So it's not negative in and of itself, and it's not positive either. It can go either way. It can use either way. So for those of us that need to get our heads around what's a yoke, it's something you wear your shoulders, okay? It's kind of a, a piece of wood often. The function of that yoke was to make things easier to carry. That's what a yoke is for, the way Jesus is speaking of it. That's the intended design. So a yoke helps you carry more weight than you could otherwise, 
uh, and carry more items than you could otherwise with, than you could with two hands. So that's what a yoke is for. Now notice, Jesus isn't debating whether or not we wear a yoke. He isn't saying that. He assumes that we do, okay? So we're all joined to something. We're all laboring for something. We're all bearing some load. So the question that I think comes at us based on what Jesus is saying is what yoke are you carrying and why, okay? So this gets to, I think, at the heart of what Jesus is saying. Do you carry the yoke that bleh, you carry the yoke of law and legalism, right? Still a valid thing for us today. Still valid. Or do you carry my yoke, the yoke of Christ? I don't see Jesus giving us another option here. It appears to be one or the other. There's the burdens of the law or the comparatively light and easy yoke, Jesus calls it, of his gospel. One yoke brings rest in life. It's the yoke of Christ. It's the only one that lightens our load and offers us some rest. And interestingly, rest can be also translated in this beautiful relief. <laughs> relief. My yoke is a relief to you versus the yoke of the law and legalism. I can't help but quote J.C. Ryle again. I do this to you guys every week. I'm going to do it again. Listen to this. The comforts of the gospel far outweigh the cross. Compared to the service of the world and sin, compared to the yoke of Jewish ceremonies and the bondage of human superstition, Christ's service is in the highest sense easy and light. His yoke is no more a burden than the feathers are to a bird. Love that. For my yoke is easy, and this, by the way, can mean kind or good. How about that? And my burden is light. This is God coming to us in our desperate hour, lightening the load. Okay. To close, so in a season like this one, yeah, we can think of plenty of adjectives to describe it, some of which shouldn't be spoken but are thought, and they're perhaps fitting. In a season like this one, perhaps your prayer is as simple as this, Jesus, lighten my load. Jesus, please come and lighten my load. That is a fair prayer, okay? Fair prayer. But I think when we pray that prayer, we need to be prepared that Jesus might reply with this. Lay your burdens down. Lay it down. Lay it down. In all likelihood, I think we have some unlearning to do. There are burdens that we carry that the Lord is not asking us to carry. You ever thought about that? There's things that we carry around and slog around in our entire lives, some of us that Jesus is not asking us to carry, things to surrender, things that to be left at the foot of the cross. So, for example, speaking specifically to what Jesus is talking about here with legalism and law and such, uh, this isn't just something that was sort of relevant in his day and age, but doesn't really affect us. The law and legalism is still very much alive in the church and very much and very well, I'm sad to say. Now that might feel a little abstract to you, a little theoretical. Uh, let me give you a heart, let me give you a question that just cuts right to the heart of it that you can ask yourself. And it is this. This will tell you if you're living under that legalistic law. Do you feel you must somehow earn the right to be loved by God? Is there something you must do to earn yourself into God's good graces? If so, you're, guess what your yoke you're wearing? I can tell you it's not Jesus's. It's just not. That's the heart of legalism. 
And it's a lie from the pit of hell. I really believe that. So rebuke it, cast it off, take up the yoke of Christ instead, which gives life and rest. So there are burdens that we carry. There are, that God is not asking us to carry. There are places where we are bound, where we are weighed down. There are places where God has in fact already set us free. And so we pray. And I'll, I pray along with you today, Jesus, lighten my load. Jesus, lighten my load. We're begging for God to come and deliver us while also being willing to hear from him. Lay down your burdens and going, okay, Jesus, what are those burdens I need to lay down? And here he is saying, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart and in me, you'll find rest for your souls. So simple question. And we end here. What can you lay down? I don't, for me, I'm still chewing on this. I'm still thinking about this. Uh, this may not, you may, the Holy Spirit may give you an answer and it's right there. You just know it. This is what I lay down. I just know it. Others of you may find you need to chew on that. God works in both ways. That's fine. What can you lay down? Because once you lay those things down, all of a sudden your hands are freed up to joyfully, powerfully, and in freedom, pick up and carry the things that Jesus asks you to, which he equips you to do and empowers you to do.